Welcome everyone to 121 in Flux. I am Peter and I'm here today to talk about Ghostbusters Afterlife, the first movie that I saw in movie theaters in over a year. Uh, so I'll start spoiler free. I'll give you a warning before going to spoilers. Uh, I just, you know, I had to talk about it. I wasn't really planning. I didn't like go to see the movie thinking, oh, I should review it. But now that I've seen it, I figured I might as well talk about it. I might as well give my thoughts because I do have thoughts. Um, you know, and it's not all negative, right? I'll, I'll, I'll get that out of the way. This is a decent movie. It is a decent movie that's perfectly watchable. Uh, that is overly nostalgic. It fits into the formula and trend that a lot of these nostalgia sequels are definitely doing. I will say that the plot at least kind of makes it... It fits with the plot a little better than perhaps some of the other examples that we've had. Um, I do think the cast are pretty good. I think McKenna Grace, who plays Phoebe, the granddaughter of Egon, she is the standout here, she is the lead, and it's actually kind of insane like how many things I've seen her in already, and she's only like 12. But, you know, she's she's been popping up in a bunch of movies and TV over the last like three or four years, and it's just kind of interesting that by the time she's like playing the kid in a Ghostbusters like reboot, she's already kind of become this name. Uh, Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things, obviously the inspiration and the idea of having one of the Stranger Things kids in this uh, feels intentional, honestly. Uh, Carrie Coon I've always loved, uh, Paul Rudd obviously is very likable, you know, solid cast, a solid cast uh, by and large. And so yeah, I mean, I mean the, the positives like are really quick, and it, so it feels like I'm going to probably like get a bit cynical here and talk about my overall thoughts, but... You know, I, the, the the characters are, are by and large very good. Probably my favorite running thing in the whole movie is that Phoebe uh, McKenna Gracie's young character. She is awkward at making friends, and she's trying to like, learn learn jokes to tell jokes to people. And her jokes are all really sort of bad, but that makes them kind of great. And it's actually the funniest running gag in the whole movie is all of her bad jokes. So. Yeah, like, positives are, it's very, it's very dependable, it's not, like, poorly made, it feels really solid. I, I would say the pacing in the first two acts does feel a little bit meandering. Like, not a super amount, like, it, it does kind of feel like it takes a while before there's, like, a, a, a direction, like, a goal where the characters can finally start to work together and, like, focus on, like, achieving something. And once that kind of hits, once you're going into, like, near nearly act three... I think the movie's pacing really feels like it it works at that point, but uh, but that's not like a, a huge deal in, in the movie per se. I mean, I, I, all of the other things I'm going to say about this, like you could probably cut and paste from other movies by and large. Uh, you know, the over reliance on nostalgia. I was I was speaking to Tim uh, the other day about this and movies like this. He's not seen this yet specifically, but I am. Um, you know, there's a lot of movies that are getting made now, like Ghostbusters Afterlife, like Terminator Dark Fate, like Star Wars The Force Awakens, like Jurassic World. Uh, there's other examples, no doubt, that I am, I'm not thinking of, right? Halloween 2018 is another one. Uh, and Kills, by extension. The, it kind of feels like today we're, by and large, if, we're, if you're not a big franchise movie, you're making movies that are more about loving the original or the older movies then you are about just making a movie that works on its own. Or not even, like, that's not even fair, because a lot of good sequels don't work on their own. And there's nothing wrong with that, per se, um, if it is just a sequel. But it, this isn't just a sequel, though. It's, you know, it's a whole new set of characters that are, yeah, it's tying into the, the original film. 
and like a lot of these these movies it's like well do any of these movies work or do they feel special if you don't already have that connection to the original um and then you have the over-reliance on the nostalgia you have the over-reliance on people being excited because they see things from the original films and one of the big problems with this is like the reverence that a lot of these movies have and this is something me and tim talked a lot about on halloween kills but you know like every single time they tease one of the traps or the the epk device you know the scanner right <laughs> the scanner thing with bob like when you, when you first see that and the, like every time you see one of these things or you almost see the car or you almost see, like and you go do 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 like the musical really point it out like are you excited because these are things you remember from ghostbusters and th- that that's a little old like I, I i think my um my exercise to someone is to imagine that every single time if a movie's overdoing it right this will be a problem but imagine if every single time it was intentionally teasing you something from the original that it spliced on a clip from ghostbusters right the original ghostbusters that moment where they get the first call and janine like slams down the phone and says we got one and she like slams the bell and wakes up the ghostbusters imagine that clip of her yelling that and the bell ringing was played after every single time we got one we got an easter egg we got a reference to the original film it would be annoying as shit because it would be constant you know, I suppose the other way of saying this is that if you were playing a drinking game where the, every time they show something or reference something from the original film, it would be a lot. And because the funny thing is, is that like you go back to Ghostbusters 2 and Ghostbusters 2 and sequels of its time are critiqued a lot for just doing the plot, you know, just, just do, doing the same movie again, right? With a, a slightly different villain, a slightly different circumstance, but by and large the same thing. Um... And a lot of those movies are bad. Although I actually quite like Ghostbusters 2, right? I like Ghostbusters 2 more than this. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> but what, one of the things that I think works about some of those examples, though, especially with Ghostbusters, because Ghostbusters is not meant to be this special, important film. It's not meant to be this epic journey or anything like that. It's a Ghostbusters is a bunch of blue-collar schlubs who are trying to make money with a business venture that is kind of insane, and that's kind of the joke and there's a you know there's a wit to it there's a cynicism there's a you know peter venkman is never really kind of believed in it and is kind of surprised that any of it's real once things like get going more or less like you know i haven't watched it's it's been at least a year since i watched ghostbusters so my memory is not completely fresh but the general vibe of those characters in that film versus the the heartwarming nostalgia of discovering who your grandfather was and it's the ghostbusters which is special to us all like there's this like heartwarming sentimentality to all of it and the last thing the last thing that ghostbusters ever was was sentimental (laughs) right you can argue whatever you want about ghostbusters but you cannot argue that it was a sentimental film um it was never supposed to be and I'm not saying that you can't have a sentimental thing where we take it forward. You know, my favorite sequel of all time is Aliens. You can, and you can't, obviously you can't say that Aliens didn't do new things and didn't take it into a new direction, because it did. Uh, but you can do it, you can respect the, the continuity, you can respect the advancements in the, the story and not reset characters and things like that. But also, not just like, you know, I, I don't feel like... Other than the idea, in Ghostbusters 2, other than the idea that they're, they've are they been shut down, right, and they're barely doing anything anymore, and they have to sort of prove themselves again to be allowed to function, 
I don't think there's much in the way of like remember this thing from the last movie. At least not at least not in the same way that these nostalgia sequels do it. Like they it's like, yeah, we have to get stuff, but you know, Ghostbusters 2 wasn't afraid to have a new colour of outfit. It wasn't afraid to have a new thing. And part of this you could you could cynically say it's because they wanted more toys to sell, perhaps. Because by the time Ghostbusters 2 came around, the cartoon existed and toys were a thing and blah 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 blah. Like there's there is reasons potentially for that and top you know, aside from anything else. Um But while it might not be as creative as the original film and all the other reasons why Ghostbusters 2 is looked down upon, I quite like Ghostbusters 2, and I think it's just because we've still got these these actors all around the same age, and they're going to have the same attitude, and we're just going to give them a fun villain to fight. And, like, play with, you know, just the, the, the toys in the toy box, as, as it were. This is playing with toys in the toy box, but it's every time you pick up one of the toys, you have to stop and go, aww... There's the uh, there's the thing. There's a proton pack. She's got a proton pack, and we all excited. And they're not all annoying. Like I I'm overplaying it a little bit, but uh, this movie does get very tied to Ghostbusters one. Like it goes full fan service at a certain point, and it's hard not to feel a little cynical about it. Um, and the more I see movies that do this type of thing, the less and less effective it is. Uh, the the more and more it, I I it just like hits me like. Uh, you know, a, a wet fish. <laughs> not that none of the, the connections are good, not that there's not some smart ways to connect things, because there is, uh, but there is maybe a, a, an over... I don't know, a, a, an over amount of it, I, I guess. Uh, so, as far as other complaints go, I, I, I would say that, yeah, the, the final act, while I do appreciate that there's a goal in mind and that the characters are working together, I kind of wish that it wasn't so like copying the first film and that maybe like we use more of those first two acts to kind of like build the some of the some of the, the connections between the characters a little bit more like i, I could have used more of them interacting with each other because the, the two young kids are kind of separate from the two older kids a lot uh, I, I didn't even mention podcast yeah there's this weird trend in movies these past couple of years as well to have always have a quirky character who has a who has a podcast and i say this as someone who podcasts it's kind of weird and annoying <laughs> especially in this case where he literally calls himself podcast and he's like doing the creepy thing where he's like oh this town's got lots of spooky and unexplained things and i'm going to talk about them and he kind of befriends phoebe that's his character and it's funny because even like you know the chucky tv show has a character who has his own true crime podcast like it's such a it's it's almost become the uh the go-to thing for, you know, in older movies when you had a character who was just really obsessed and was like an expert on something like that, where they would really care about it and just have a knowledge about a subject, nowadays the shortcut to that is just to say they've got a podcast about it. So that's why they're an expert. That's why they know these things. That's why they know about all these murders that happened in the town, or that's why they know about all these weird supernatural things. Um, So, that, but, you know, a bit, bit weird on that. But uh, it is what it is. Uh, I'll say that. Um, so as far as far as spoiler free stuff goes, um, there's something that I predicted, and I think well, not, and this is not, I'm not trying to take credit for this because I think everyone, anyone with half a brain, predicted something that may happen by the end of this movie, and I was a little bit worried about it. Uh, I could see it being really eye rolling, and I will talk about how it felt. <laughs> and <laughs> spoilers which i think i will quickly go into because i feel like at this point i just need to talk about stuff that's in the movie um uh, i'm not going to 
go through every plot point. I don't think I'm interested in doing every plot detail necessarily. Do I do I do some positive stuff? You know, I, I kind of like the, the you know the the discovery of the car. I like the kids finding a ghost using a proton pack, but then having to chase it, and that leading to and it's in a lot of the early trailers is the, the you know, they're driving the Ecto one through the the small town. Uh, but I can I kind of dig this a little bit. Like I think the gunner seat for 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 Phoebe to sit on and like be shooting the proton pack from that was a nice subtle addition to give us like a very different because you know, I don't know if we ever got a good car chase per se with the Ecto-1 so this felt like a really smart addition to just like oh here's something else we can do with one of the most famous movie cars we've ever had let's do the, the a, a car chase where they're chasing a ghost uh and I, I think that stuff is is pretty fun and like having the trap on the little remote control wheels I think all these little like playing with the the rules and playing with the tech that was there is actually quite smart. Uh, and likewise, I, I said that I loved when the characters had, like, a goal to work together. You know, when they find out that, you know, the town and the world and you know, is indeed in danger because Gozer is coming back, I do kind of love that they all have to work together to break out of the police station to get all of the equipment back so that they can, you know, help save the day. And they think they're on their own. And, you know, we're all kind of suspecting. And we're in spoilers here. Let me make that clear. We're in spoilers. We're all expecting that the Ghostbusters, the real Ghostbusters, are going to show up by the end, right? We're all expecting help is coming. And by this point in the movie, you know, we've even seen Ray, right? Because Phoebe's called him. Um, because the number the number from the old ad from the first movie still works and goes to his uh, occult bookshop or whatever it is. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll roll with it. Um, which actually, this is a good time to mention. So, like, I'm, I'll, I'll, I want to give a pass... Right, I was prepared to give a pass to a character saying, "Who are you gonna call?" It's a, it's an, it's a softball. It's a home run. It, it wouldn't, for a lot of circumstances, feel that forced to say that line. <sighs> Somehow they picked the wrong character to say it naturally. So they get put in jail because they were, you know, riding around in the Ecto One, and the big brother doesn't have a license yet. So they're all put into the tank. And Phoebe's like, don't we get a phone call? And Sheriff Dude, who's like the teenage girl's dad, you know, the camera like, you know, tracks in a little bit. Uh, there's a little pause and the music stops and he goes, who are you going to call? And I, I'm like... <laughs> so my problem with this is not so much that someone said the line, it just felt really unnatural to me for the police officer to say it to the person. Because and maybe it's just because I don't think I've ever seen a movie <laughs> where someone in a police station has said, "I want my phone call," and the cop has went, "Who are you going to call?" They, they never asked. They don't care, <laughs> unless there's like a specific reason or they know them well enough that they suggest someone or you know, or they'll maybe say something like, "Uh, yeah, you might need a lawyer," or you know, they'll, they'll maybe say something specific like that. But I've never heard them just genuinely be curious about who they're going to call. I feel like. I feel like it would, and the problem with this is that it would have made much more sense for just one of the other characters to see it. She says, don't we get a phone call? The cop goes, well, yes, you do. And then you you have Finn Wolfhard turn to her, his little sister and go, who are you going to call? Like, that would be natural. That would work, because he would genuinely be like, well, who are you going to call, though? Like, are you really going to call mum? Like, are you going to get mum out of the station? Uh, like, like, you know it would have made more sense to come out of, like, almost any other character <laughs> in the scene would have made more sense to say who you're going to call than the cop. 
So, yeah, they overdo it is what I'm saying. They, they really milk it, uh, which is, you know, uh, it, it's, it's part of the nostalgia problem and, like, treating every single thing. The first time you see a trap, uh, the meter, the... The, the proton pack, the doo doo doo. Even Janine, Janine has a cameo early on, and Janine gets like the little sound like cue to be like, "Hey, remember Janine? You remember Janine?" Like, I, I don't know. I just like everything has to be treated like this is a special thing from our past. And uh, arguably, yeah, sure, Ghostbusters did very publicly seem to save the world. They were part of this big incident on TV and stuff, which is actually kind of weird that, um. Not so much that all the kids don't know who who you know what it's go you know about it because it was before they were born, but it is a bit weird that the podcast kid who's into unexplained and paranormal stuff has never heard of the Ghostbusters. That felt a bit odd. Like, I mean, I, I figured he would you know have found out. Like, if you're into a subject, you tend to start to look into it more, and it doesn't matter if some of it happened before your time. But by the time I was twelve, like you bet your ass I knew about horror movies that were out long before I was born. So, it, you know, that's, yeah, it, whatever. It, it, it's, it's, it's a nitpick. It's not a big thing, but it, it, it was there. It was there. Um, so, but yes, no, I, 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 I like uh, them all working together. I like them having a plan. I like, uh, you know, later when they're a bit more confident and, like, Phoebe intentionally uses the gunner seat again in front of her mum and her mum's just kind of in awe of her, of her kid. And and honestly, like as far as references go, I I think there is such a thing as a smart reference. And I, I guess if I'm trying to define what a smart reference is, is a reference that's not just there for a reference or to like tug on your heartstring, but it's a reference that actually drives either character development whilst also referencing, or works because it advances plot and like actually you know like the reference actually says something other than just the the, the reference itself. It's actually giving you a piece of information about the character. Uh, whether it be growth or plot or whatever, right? You know, one of my favorite references to a previous film and a sort of like comeback sequel, as it were, or comeback reboot, uh, is Rise of the Planet of the Apes. There is a phenomenal reference to one of the most famous lines of dialogue in that film. But the way they spin it adds so much meaning that it like doesn't just feel like a cheap reference. It doesn't just, you know, it's not a cheap pop. To use a, to use a wrestling term, right? A cheap pop is when you say something that you know the crowd's going to cheer for. Uh, you know, the most common example is just mentioning the, the town they're in. So, you know, I'm happy to be here in, you know, Chicago or whatever, right? And they go nuts. They all cheer because they said the town name. Uh, like, cheap pop. Most of these nostalgia references are cheap pops. But sometimes you can have a smart pop where it, it, you get that effect as well. But you actually have this, like, feeling that goes along with it because it's actually saying something. And I think the reference here that... I don't even think it's a direct reference per se, but it made me think of it. So when she goes out in the gunner seat and she uses the, the proton pack and her mum's all impressed and, you know, uh, Carrie Coon is like, in, you know, like, oh my God, my daughter, what, you know, what are you? Uh, I don't think she says that exact question, but regardless, Phoebe looks at her and smiles and says, I'm a scientist. And this worked for me. And I don't even know if it's meant to be a direct reference to like... The, the times in the original where the characters would you know i think the one that i always remember is bill murray saying back off i'm a scientist but this felt to me like a, the best one of the best references in the movie because it reminded me of uh like a, a thought or, or 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 a way that people would speak in ghostbusters 
but he used it in this new context and used it in this way of a character finding themselves. Um, and it kind of, you know, it was, you know, it's not really a deep character arc in the movie because it doesn't really, I think, go into it too much. But, you know, you ha- you start with Phoebe where she's, like, n- not good at making friends, her mum's worried about her, and she's not really confident to get involved with people. But now she's, like, you know, putting her life on the line to save the world. And she's definitively saying, you know, what, what you know, whatever else you, you're concerned about what I am, mum, I'm a scientist. Like, I know that about myself. I'm confident about that about myself. So... It's kind of this nice little reference whilst also actually saying something about the character. And that is a smart reference, I think. Um, admittedly, I don't know if the reference is completely intentional in this case. In my head, it's a reference, but it works for me way better than a lot of the other things uh, that's you know more on the nose and just kind of like, remember this thing? Remember this thing? Um, throughout the film, you know, the ghost of Egon is clearly helping, like her discover things i thought it was a bit weird though that the ghost of egon seems to want her to find the uh the trap with with gozer on it and that leads to gozer being released which is what leads to them having to do everything else for the rest of the movie like i'm not entirely sure what egan's ghost was trying to get her to do because literally they find the trap that has the the ghost in it and immediately, like, her, Paul Rudd, and podcast are all like, yeah, let's open this son of a bitch. Let's, let's see what it's in it. And that's what causes all the problems. Um, I mean, I think, that, well, the earthquakes were already happening, so I guess the unrest was still happening in the, the mouth of hell that's in the cave, but, I mean, I don't know, it still felt like a weird... I mean, maybe, like, they had to, like, let it happen so they could, like, take them all on, you know, you they ultimately, maybe only had one of the spirits and you need to get all three or, or, or I don't know. Anyway, um, so, yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Uh, stuff that, that you know, uh, that I'm not as fond of, um, or, so, the fan service, so, I, you know, I, I, I don't mind necessarily that they're using Gozer again, um, they they go into the whole idea that the the building uh, the 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 gargoyles were on and Ghostbusters was built by the same guy who built a lot of this town and he wanted to raise Gozer to like and it turns it ends up being like a weird cameo by J.K. Simmons who's like in like a crypt who gets up uh, when everything starts opening up I, I, whatever but as the movie's going on you you kind of get that Paul Rudd and Carrie Coon are going to be the gatekeeper and the keymaster and. Um, they're both pretty likable. They're, they're both nice enough characters, and they're they're kind of fun to see go through some of these motions. Um, it's it's kind of interesting to me as well that they're they're able to like. This is actually a really smart little thing. I actually really like this detail. Is that they use the ghost? They, so they sneak into where they're all hanging, like where Gozar and the steps with the two beasts are hanging out, right? Because obviously they've turned into the the big demon dogs, right? Like the first movie. And they basically sneak one of the traps underneath uh, what turns out to be Carrie Coon's beast. And because they trapped the spirit that was making her into this, she becomes herself again. And it becomes this thing where they then go on the run. This is where the moment happens where Carrie Coon sees her daughter uh, use the proton pack and stuff. But it's actually this really smart thing where Gozer can't be at full power and like do everything she's going to do unless... Uh, both the gatekeeper and the keymaster are in place, so it becomes this like thing. Well, 
our trap's not powerful enough for Gozer, but we can take one of them, and then it becomes this kind of chase where they're trying to, like, outrun, and it's all leading back to the farm where Egon had set up, like, a bunch of bunch of traps that are all going to be powered by the superconductor and blah blah blah. Um, and, you know, the, the, the finale, like, I, I wish a couple of the characters had a little bit more to do. I felt like the, uh, the teen girl character, Lucky, uh, she's nice enough, but it does kind of feel like she's just there to make up numbers, so there's four kids, uh, and doesn't really have that much going on. Um, so the, the big thing that, like, everyone was expecting to happen by the end, I think, was a ghost of, of Egon. That we were going to see Egon in ghost form, uh, in CG or whatever. And, you know, the, the, the kids, like, almost win, but don't quite, and then, then you hear the voices, and then walk the three original Ghostbusters. You got Peter, you got Ray, you got, you got, uh, Winston. And... You know, they're there, they're, like, it's kind of nice seeing them, I guess. I mean, Bill Murray always kind of feels like he's phoning it in when he's doing Ghostbusters stuff now. He just seems to hate it, but uh, maybe that fits Venkman. I I, I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell. It's, it's one of those weird things when you bring someone back after so long that they don't really feel like the same character anymore, even though this is how the actor actually aged. It just feels like they've moved on. Uh... Ernie Hudson, to his credit, does does still look good for his age, though. He's still looking... <coughs> like Winston in a lot of ways. Uh, as he puts later on, he was the sex appeal of the Ghostbusters, so uh, power to him. Um, but they, they try and, you know, there's some references to the first film when they first encountered Gozer, and they try to cross the streams, but it doesn't work. Gozer's able to repel it, which it feels like just a quick thing, because, oh yeah, like, why wouldn't this work again? Oh, just cause, just cause, cause. Gozer's prepared for it, it's fine. <laughs> just go with it. Um, so the, the Ghost of Egon, though, Right, I, I was kind of dreading that, right? It, it did feel like kind of a cynical move. It felt like an obvious, just, like, going full ham choice. But I was prepared, because I was so ready for it, I was prepared to just kind of be okay with it. And, like, sort of take it for the genuine kind of maybe heartfelt gesture it was supposed to be. And the movie is dedicated to Harold Ramis. It says for Harold at the end, which was a really nice touch. But uh, I do think they overdid it. Uh, so the, the first moment with the ghost I actually think is really good because Phoebe like fires a proton pack at uh, Gozer and it's like and she's like struggling but she's doing okay and like the others all get kind of knocked away so it's like why you know she's doing this on her own and it's kind of this struck moment of power and then you see the ghost hand around her hand like you know as if she's getting help like someone's helping her hold this in place it's not just herself and the camera comes around and you see like Ghost Egon like sort of around his granddaughter kind of helping her and giving her extra strength. I thought that moment is actually very good. It works really well. It plays, it, you know, for, for all the cynicism I can, I can throw at the idea of having Ghost Egon in here, I will say that the, the plot of the movie does set up for this. The Ghost of Egon is helping her with little hints and tips throughout the whole movie. Like, that, the entire movie has been building to it, so it doesn't feel like a cheap thing when it happens at the end. It does feel like the movie has intentionally been aiming for this the whole time. <coughs> Pardon me. So, you know, that's fair. I, I can't fault that. I do think, though, that the ghost, Egon, like, hangs around for far too long. He basically just stands around, not speaking, but everyone gets to interact with them. There's a moment where he's standing next to the other Ghostbusters, and they kind of look over... And they say things like, I should have called, I'm sorry, Egon, you know, we kind of fell apart, uh, all these things. 
um, you know, Carrie Coon gets to hug him before he disappears. He sort of has a moment with both of his grandkids. And it's like, you know, all these sweet, like, moments. Uh, I do think they overmilk it a little bit by having him, like, stick around to have moments with everyone. Uh, but the initial moment, I think, is is well done enough. Uh, you know, I, you know, like, would I have still rather that be more suggestive and not just this, have a CG Harold Ramis? Uh, yes, I would have probably preferred that if I'm if I'm choosing, but um, I, I won't fault it too much. Um, what's funny about the uh, the climax of this movie, which all takes place on a farm, is that it feels oddly both like low stakes but high stakes at the same time because obviously the world is kind of at stake because if Gozer gets to do her thing then you know she'll take over but what's funny about it is that I have no problem with with a smaller scale conflict especially when we're dealing with kids that are fighting it because it's like well it's a bit weird if you're in like these you know beams into the sky and all the rest of it which kind of happens anyway but because the first movie ended in New York City and it ended on a, a you know a skyscraper and it like it had this big like epic feel to it bizarrely for the ending, which credit to Ghostbusters is that despite what it was like it actually did feel quite big by the end. <coughs> I'm dying today apparently. Um, that this does inherently feel smaller, and I don't think it's a problem that it feels small. It's it maybe feels a bit weird that it feels smaller than the original film. Maybe I'm just so used to modern films like. Oh, we have to be bigger. We have to be bigger. So maybe I should just be happy with that. But I think it feels like a little bit of a cop-out, though, because while technically it is smaller, it still doesn't necessarily have the effects of a smaller, like, you know, scale, because it still has all the big CG of the, the swirling ghost, you know, vortex and beams into the sky and and all the rest of it. Um, but, you know, it... <laughs> Like, like, this is not really a, that super like important point I'm making. More of just like a weird observation than anything else. Um, I don't know what you do for like more of these. Really, I mean, the the post credit scene shows that Ernie Hudson or sorry Winston is um going to basically fund the Ghostbusters and make Ghostbusters be a thing again. Like he buys the firehouse back. And uh, there's a weird inconsistency in the plot because uh, Ray earlier on complains that Starbucks bought the firehouse. But when Winston goes into it in the post credit scene, it looks like it's been derelict for, like, well, since they left, basically. <laughs> so I'm not entirely sure uh, what was going on with uh, that weird inconsistency. It's almost like the post credit scene didn't get written till later or something, uh, and they just forgot to take out the earlier line, or I don't know. But, um, you know, uh, and the, you know, the mid and post credit scene are fine. The mid credit scene is uh, Sigourney Weaver gets a cameo with uh, Bill Murray. And they're doing the the shock test from the start of the original, um. But again, it is just like, hey, remember the original? Um, isn't it nice to have all these people back? Which which is nice, right? It's all very nice and decent. Uh, but I I will say this right now: it's never special. It's never great, and it's never special, and it never really feels like it justifies its own existence necessarily. Um, and I think great sequels. Well, they don't necessarily stand completely alone because, you know, sometimes good sequels really do make use of following on from the arcs from the original films or whatever. I do think that it, you know, it, it doesn't, it is so reliant upon caring about Ghostbusters. And maybe, like, maybe young people will watch this and they'll like it. Um, But I, I, I don't, 
you know, for, for, if, if I'm being critical, and I have to be critical if I'm going to, like, sit here and analyze and try and explain my feelings, and as, as more time goes on, because, like, you know, I, I was quite positive on Jurassic World, and it's not a great movie, but, you know, the nostalgia hit me in the right place, and it did kind of the right things, and I, you know, if this came first, I might feel the opposite. I might feel more what I do for Jurassic World for this, and you know, then Jurassic World would get this speech from me. Uh, but it's kind of like as time's going on, and we're we're kind of like getting more and more of these nostalgia sequels and comebacks. That there's a formula that you know, I, I when I think of things coming back that have just knocked it out of the park, you know, the Plat of the Apes trilogy is one of them, and that was such a surprise because it. I didn't. No one. I don't think anyone expected it to be as special as it was. Uh, I think that trilogy of films is better than the original Planet of the Apes because it 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 takes the some of the ideas and it just it makes its own special thing out of it. Um, you know, not a movie, but Twin Peaks: uh, The Return. You know, from twenty seventeen, that new season of Twin Peaks. You know, it came back twenty five years after Twin Peaks had been gone and. Some people didn't like that it wasn't just more of the same thing and it felt like a new beast, but it really felt like it had something to say. It felt like it had its own new purpose. It felt like David Lynch really had a story to tell that was new and was born out partly of that 25-year difference and all the life experiences from there and ideas that had popped up since then, but, you know, mixed in with where, where plans were in the first place and stuff like that. Uh... This movie, in turn, feels more like it was a writing challenge. It was like, okay, we have to come up with a a movie idea for like continuing Ghostbusters. It's a bit more heartfelt and nostalgic. And, well, I think it does a decent job of it. It still, it still kind of feels like, you know, rather than having like a story to tell, it's like, oh, how can we do more Ghostbusters? And I, I don't think it ever quite shakes off that feeling uh, throughout. Um, Paul Rudd is a teacher, by the way. Really interesting. Uh, he just has the summer school kids watch, uh, Kujo and Child's Play. Uh, really weird, but <laughs> interesting choices to show a bunch of twelve-year-olds. Uh, technically, I mean, at least I don't know about Kujo, but Child's Play was definitely our read. So, <laughs> so I mean, I I wouldn't be complaining if I was in the t- if I was one of these twelve-year-olds. I'd be like, yeah, let's watch. Let's watch these movies. Although they're on VHS for some reason. Uh, that's just a dig at the school system, I guess. Um I'm trying to think if I've got any more like broad thoughts or like specific points that I, I really want to make. Um Yeah, it's it's one of these weird things where it feels like a lot of these sequels that are being made just now, and, and partly it's because of the studios want these happy feelings for audiences to come back and love these franchises again so they can keep milking the franchises for more entries and, and more merchandise and all the rest of it but part of it also might be that we're dealing with like an audience of film or sorry we're dealing with a generation of filmmakers who by and large grew up loving certain things from the 70s 80s and 90s so now like they're being roped into doing these reboots so instead and so i i guess what i'm saying here is i would much rather have a new film that you could tell is inspired by Ghostbusters. You could look at it and go, oh, you know, uh, Jane Smith here, this new director, this new hotshot director, this up, up and coming, she clearly was inspired by Ghostbusters. She's watched, she's grew up watching Ghostbusters. You, you can see kind of the influence of the wit and the influence of like, the, maybe the types of characters that are in the film and the type of like scenario that they're going to be in. 
But I would much rather have something that you can recognize the influence of Ghostbusters, but it's very much doing its own thing. Because at least then, it wouldn't, like, go... You know, it wouldn't be like, oh my god, it's the Proton Pack. Oh my god, we all have to, like, be in awe of the Proton Pack for the first time again, you know? Um, so... I, I guess ultimately what I'm saying is that it's like a 6 out of 10. <laughs> and I realize I talked a while there to get to 6 out of 10. But it is, a, it's, you know, it's fundamentally that's what it is. It is a decent enough movie. It's pretty inoffensive. It's got likable cast members, for sure. It's got a f- some fun ideas here or there that are sprinkled in. Uh, but it does have the nostalgia sequel kind of fan service stink to it as well and you know i i i think like in a lot of ways it comes back to what i said at the start is that there's a lot of movies being made today that are more about how much did we love the old movie than they are about here's why you should love this movie and I think that is a continuing problem that I am going to keep monitoring, <laughs> that I'm going to keep noticing, and we'll see how it plays out with more stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know where you go for the sequel. I saw I was I started this thought earlier, but uh, you know, obviously Ernie Hudson is like starting up Ghostbusters as a as a thing again. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but if you do a sequel to this movie, you can't need to have the kids. But how do you work the kids into the plot in a way that doesn't feel contrived? Because they're not the ones to discover the the story again or discover that there's something going on, you know? Like, um, so I, I don't know what you do there. I, I don't know what you do there, but I suspect if it's doing well enough, they'll, they'll probably want to do another one. And, uh, we'll see, I guess. Uh, it's decent. It's decent. I, I don't really, like, give a, a glowing recommendation, though. Uh, I do think it is nostalgia porn. Uh, in a lot of ways, and you know, it's it's sad to say that because I I do see like the the those ideas in there, those arcs that are kind of in there. There's good moments, good ideas that I can see kind of forming a better realized version of this movie. Maybe it's a simple case of just needing a couple of redrafts and like just like reading in a little bit of the the awe of every detail that, you know, comes from the original Ghostbusters. Like, you know, treat some of it like it's just details, that they're just happenstance, they're just, this is what the, the, the thing looks like, because that's what the trap looked like, this is what the, you know, whatever, right? Like, you know, uh, hey, whatever. Anyway, you've had enough of me rambling. Uh, this is being my thoughts on Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is a decent enough movie, but nothing great, nothing special. Um... So, 6 out of 10 for me. Let me know what you thought of the movie in the comments below. You can like and subscribe, all that stuff. Uh, get me on the Twitters at mail underscore fuzz for channel updates. Or, sorry, actually, this is on the movie channel. So, this is uh, at Screams Midnight for uh, the channel updates. You can get me personally at Wibble89. And, of course, you can support everything we do over at patreon.com slash TV for as little as $1 per month and keep, the bo- keep all the content coming, get some bonuses, all that stuff. I can't speak anymore. Uh, so I'm wrapping this up right there. Thank you very much for watching. I'll see you next time. Keep watching movies. And if you can get it, it's always nice to have diplomatic immunity.